Morning, friends. Uh, My name's Matt. I was just in that video, and we found out very quickly as we were shooting that video that Kenny and I aren't big fans of being near the edge. Uh, They had this plan of having a shoot near the edge, and we were like, ah, nope, nope, that won't happen. Let's get over here in the middle, the middle of the roof. That looks like a good place. So we'd love to have your help with Carnival, and there's ways that you can sign up on the website or through our app. We'd love to have you uh, join us for that outreach. Last night I was with some people and we were talking about the hurt and the hardship that comes with family loss. And there was some anticipated family loss and the challenge that comes with it. And then this morning I was reminded that we actually have uh, two or three families this morning that are all at a funeral that was scheduled for this morning. And it's just been a reminder of how often we come here on a Sunday morning and we're hurting for some reason. Doesn't necessarily need to be family loss, but we're hurting. We're in pain. We're we're facing some sort of challenge. And before we get to the message this morning, I, I would love to just spend a minute praying for anyone in this room who's hurting this morning. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you, if, if you're hurting, if you'd like prayer this morning, to stand with me. I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to make you say anything. No, I promise. I won't make you say anything. There's not going to be a microphone brought to you. I'd just love for you to affirm, I, I want prayer this morning uh, by standing with me. And so if you're facing pain this morning, if you're hurting in some way, would you, would you stand with me right now so that we can be praying for you? And I, I do not believe that it's appropriate for the people of God to ever stand by themselves. So would some of you who are around move around and just place a hand on the shoulder of the people that are by you right now? And let me pray for us. Father, as we come before you week in and week out, there are weeks we come here, our hearts are filled with joy, our circumstances are filled with with blessing and happiness, and there are other weeks when we come here and things are hard and there is pain and there's hurt and there's challenge. And we recognize your goodness in the midst of both of those different scenarios. God, you are our rock. You are our strong place, and we turn to you. And we know that we turn to a God who understands pain, a God who understands suffering and hurt, and who has said he will walk through it with us. And we thank you for that ability to turn to a God who fully has entered into suffering. Lord, as as we come before you today, we're reminded of Paul's words to the Corinthians that you would bring a supernatural comfort to those who are hurting, those who are in pain today, so that they can comfort others with the comfort that they've received. And so, God, we ask for that blessing in their lives. And Lord, we pray for your strength. For everyone who is standing For anyone else in this room that's experiencing pain and hurt, whether it is personal or whether it is just because of the heart-wrenching stories that we have been reading about for the last few weeks, we just pray for your Spirit's power and strength to be with us now. Keep our minds and our eyes focused not on what is seen, 
but on what is unseen, recognizing that what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Lord, keep our minds and our hearts focused on you and that great future that is ours through the power of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Continue to be praying for each other and standing with each other and strengthening each other during these times. Uh, We are the body of Christ here for each other. Our sermon series that we are in is called Romans Road, and we are looking at the first half of the book of Romans. And as we've been looking at that first half, every week I have been coming up here and doing some review. And I know that there are some of you who all week, every day this week, have been just waiting, anticipating some sort of shape to go up on the screen. Whether it's the circles or the two-path diagram, all week you've been, I can't wait to get to that review. Well, I'm going to disappoint you. Yeah, I know, I know. Because we're not going to do a review today because the entire passage that we're going to look at, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, is a review. As a matter of fact, in the Greek text, our passage today begins with the word, therefore. And most scholars believe that Paul isn't just connecting chapter 8 to chapter 7 with that word, therefore, that he is connecting chapter 8 to everything in Romans that has come before it. He is saying because of all of the truth of Romans 1 through 7, we can celebrate the blessings that are listed in Romans chapter 8. And this morning, we are going to celebrate those blessings. Paul says that those blessings that we're going to talk about this morning are for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to look for that phrase again and again in our text today, in Christ Jesus. The blessings, the truths that we're going to look at today are for disciples of Jesus. And so before we get into them, we have to ask the question, am I a disciple of Jesus? These blessings today, these truths that we're going to look at are for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we ask, Am I in Christ Jesus? Because if the answer is yes to that, and you're in Christ Jesus and you're his disciple, there are overwhelmingly amazing blessings that Paul is going to list for us in Romans chapter 8. And he starts with this blessing that is, uh, that is fundamental to what it means to know Jesus, and that is that the penalty of our sin is paid. There are going to be eight truths that we're going to see in this passage. I have taken the traditional three-point outline, and I have given you five bonus points today. (laughs) Right? I know you are thankful for all of those bonus points. The first point, the first truth is this, the penalty of your sin is paid. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is this verse familiar to anyone in here? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Last week, I shared with you that a couple of weeks ago, I had said some mean-spirited things towards my wife. Do you remember me sharing that with you? Yeah, you all marked it down in your journals. Matt shared. Bring this up later. As a follower of Jesus, what happens in my account before God to that sin? Jesus has paid for that sin. That sin has been placed upon him on the cross and the penalty for that sin was poured out upon Jesus on the cross so that even though that happened two weeks ago in my account before God, I've been declared innocent or righteous. 
That's that word justification that we have been looking at. There is no more legal guilt or condemnation for you if you are a follower of Jesus. Right? Isn't that good news? But the good news doesn't end there. The second truth that we see is that the power of sin is broken in your life if you're in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you're a follower of Jesus, then sin no longer rules in your life. You've been set free from that power. What, what does that mean? Does that mean you never sin again when you become a follower of Jesus? No, what, what does 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 say? If we claim that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so we're not talking about sinless perfection from the moment that we place our faith in Jesus. But what we are talking about is that you'll never face a temptation again that you have to give in to. In every situation, righteousness is possible. And so when it comes to that situation with my wife a couple of weeks ago, I did not have to give in to temptation and speak mean-spirited things towards her. I could have chosen righteousness and spoken love and edification into her life. That's what 1 Corinthians 10.13 is talking about. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's no temptation you have to give into because of the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't have to lie tomorrow. You don't have to give in to lust. You don't have to give in to coveting. You don't have to run after that idol. It doesn't have to happen because the power of sin has been broken in your life, follower of Jesus. But the good news just continues to build here. And we look at truth number three. Our practice of sin is being reduced in our life. Not only is the penalty paid, not only is the power broken, but your actual practice of sin is being reduced. Look at verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous, okay, the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the practice of sin is being reduced in you because you now walk by what? You now walk by the Spirit. You now walk according to the Spirit of God. And so what the law couldn't do, bring you to a place of fulfilling the law, God's Spirit is now doing in you. He is now working in you so that you carry out more and more of those righteous requirements of the law. What are the righteous requirements of the law? If you had to summarize the righteous requirements of the law, how would you summarize them? We're followers of Jesus, so I think we would summarize them like he does in Matthew chapter 22 when he was asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? What is God's priority, Jesus? And what does he respond? You probably know this as well. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. 
Jesus says, ultimately, everything comes down to loving God with everything you have and loving others. And every other commandment that has ever been given hangs from these two commandments. The word picture here in the Greek is of a hanger and clothes hanging from that hanger. The loving God and loving others, that's the hanger and everything else depends upon it. Everything else hangs from it. Or another word picture that this word is used, uh, is used to give us in the Greek is of a skeleton and flesh hanging from that skeleton. Loving God and loving others is the skeleton of the law of God and everything else just fleshes it out. Everything else is flesh that, that hangs off of that bone. God recognizes our brokenness and the depravity of our hearts means that he can't just say, it all comes down to love me and love others or else we will define love whatever way we want. We'll, we'll do whatever we want and call it love. And so he says, I'm going to flesh this out for you. I'm going to give you some commandments in specific areas that help you understand what loving God and loving people looks like in those areas. So, Matt, if you want to know what it looks like to love God and love your wife, I've got some things for you there. Let's start with Exodus 20 and not committing adultery. Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and, and loving her as Christ loves the church. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and honoring her and exalting her. If I want to know how is it that I can use my tongue in a way that loves God and loves others, all of God's commands help flesh that out. His commands about praising His name. His commands about spreading His name to the ends of the earth. His commands about not using words that tear others down, but instead lift others up according to their need. All of these are commands that do what? They flesh out what it means to love God and love other people. And so he wants us to understand that's what it all comes down to and everything else hangs from that and helps to flesh it out for us. And those who are followers of Jesus have the Spirit of God at work in them so that their practice of sin is being reduced and they are growing more and more in the way of the Spirit, which is about loving God and loving people, fulfilling those righteous requirements of the law. Right? Our practice of sin is being reduced. But that's not all. If you're a follower of Jesus, your mind is focusing on God. More and more you find your mind focusing on God. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is what? Life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are not followers of Jesus, those who don't know God, what is their mind set on? Their mind is set on the things that are offered by the world. Getting more. Getting liked. Getting control. And seeking after those things. But for a follower of Jesus, what is our mind set on? Our mind is getting set more and more on the things of God and on God himself. Uh, Jesus describes his people as having been born again. 
One of the signs that someone is alive is that they hunger. When a baby comes out, it isn't long before they start seeking food. And as they continue to grow, that hunger grows with them till the point where they are in their late teens and they are eating mom and dad out of house and home because the hunger just continues to grow. God wants us to understand that for those who are his followers, they have that spiritual hunger for more of him, for more of his things. And there is nothing that brings greater life and peace and joy into our life than when our minds and our hearts are focused on him and on the things of God. It is the greatest life and peace and joy when our minds and our hearts are focused in on him. And so it is a blessing that he gives to us as his people that we rightly orient our minds and our hearts around him. What a blessing it is. Our mind is focused on God. But we're continuing to pile on the blessings. As we move into the second half of the blessings, we see the Spirit is winning the war within us. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God is winning the war in you. Remember the war we talked about last week? The Spirit is winning that war in you. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Everyone who, let me pause there, everyone who is a follower of Jesus has the Spirit of God dwelling within them. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus has the Spirit of God dwelling in them. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. In the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Last week, we looked at the war that goes on within a believer. Before you became a follower of Jesus, there wasn't this war between the spirit and the flesh. The spirit didn't dwell in you. There wasn't this war between what is good and what is evil because ultimately what is good is about pleasing God. And and what was the point of pleasing God before you knew him? But now that you're a follower of Jesus, now that you know God, there is this war going on inside of you. And we looked at this war and all of the ups and downs of the war last week. Do you remember? As Paul said, oh, the good I want to do, I don't seem to be able to do it. And the bad I don't want to do, I seem to be doing it continuously. He was talking about some of the downs in that. And as followers of Jesus, we recognize that there are ups and downs when it comes to our resisting temptation. And as you sit here this morning, it may be that you are in a place where you are up high, where you're experiencing righteousness and intimacy with God. And there may be others in this room that are experiencing one of those depths. You're thinking back to significant sin in your life yesterday. But while we experience those ups and downs in that war, the general pattern of the follower of Jesus is one of growth. So there's ups and downs, but the general pattern of those ups and downs continues towards growth and transformation because of the work of God's Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit is winning the war in the believer. That doesn't mean there's not ups and downs. That doesn't mean there's times we win and sometimes we lose in the battles that rage within us. 
But for the follower of Jesus, the general trajectory is one of growth and transformation. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Uh, sometimes pastors share statistics with people about those who are born again and the fact that their lives don't look a lot different from the general American population. Have you heard that before? Uh, that those, the 60 million American adults who identify as born again uh, have divorce rates that are fairly similar to the American population in general. Uh, they don't give a whole lot more to charitable causes, and on and on we go. A little over 10 years ago, uh, Gallup did a study of a different group of people. Th they said among those who are born again, 25% identify God as the most important thing in their daily life. Now just let that sink in for a second. Among the 60 million American adults who identify as born again, 25% say that Jesus is the most important thing in their daily life. When Gallup studied that 25%, what they found was that their divorce rates were one-fourth the general American population, that their charitable giving was three times what the normal American gives, that they are over twice as likely to reach out and make someone who is different than they are racially or different in background feel welcome within a place, that they register feelings of happiness at three times the rate of the general American population. Right, so what, what do we see in those statistics? What we see is the Holy Spirit is alive and well and making a difference in the lives of people. He's winning the war. Why aren't the numbers different among all who say they are born again? Because there are large numbers of people sitting in churches who are registering as born again because at some point in their life they've prayed a prayer and they believe that gets them in. Jesus is not the, action, the actionable, functional Lord of their life day in and day out. And one day they will stand before their judge and they will say, according to Jesus in Matthew 7, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because Jesus says, if I'm going to be in your life, it's going to be as king. It's going to be as Lord in your life. And among those who are genuinely his disciples, the Spirit is winning the war and making a difference. We also see that among those who are his followers, we are led by the Spirit of God. Look at the next set of verses. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Right? Those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ are led by the Spirit. That means that a different set of questions control your life now after you've become a follower of Jesus. No longer is your life controlled by the primary question that we were born with, which is, what do I want? That, that is the question that we are all born, what do I want? Each situation that we approach, well, what do I want? But those who become disciples of Jesus are led by the Spirit, and that changes the controlling question in their life, and it becomes what instead? What does God want of me? 
We are led by the Spirit and we begin to ask, what would bring God the most glory? And it changes everything about how we frame our decisions and how we live our lives. We are led by the Spirit. And as that last passage just talked about, we're children of God. We're children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, that you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There was such a beautiful picture last week, wasn't there, with the Griffiths up here, where they were adopting into their family. Two children that had not been a part of their family are now fully and completely a part of their family. And that is what God does with us. He brings us into his family and we're fully a part of his family. And what do we experience now that we are a part of God's family? We experience his love. We experience his good gifts. We experience his discipline. Right? We, we experience all of those benefits of being a part of the family of God. And the one that I would like to highlight this morning is we experience access, a child's access to the parent and to the, to the home. My son came home from college this week, and he entered my house in a different way than most of you would. He just walked in, and he put all of his stuff in one of the bedrooms. And then he went to the fridge and started just eating stuff. And then, thankfully, he grabbed a lawnmower and went out and started just mowing my lawn. Yes! Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. And each night he just sits and talks with me on the couch and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't leave. Right? One of the things I love most, maybe the thing I love most about my relationship with my kids is when they take advantage of the access they have as my children and just spend time with me. Right, My daughter, my son, what do I want more than anything? I want them to take advantage of that access that they're granted as children and just come and be with me. And I want to be with them. And the same is true of our Heavenly Father. What does he say in the book of James? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He wants us as his children to come and have that access. He loves that relationship to come and just be with him. And he is with us. And so we are God's children. And there's even greater blessings stacked on top of that because we are his children. Because then it says... We are God's heirs. And, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're God's children. And if we're his children, then we're his heirs. But this passage wants us to understand that's if we're his children. And you can tell we are his children because he is the suffering servant and we suffer along with him. Jesus suffered, Luke 4, in order to resist sin and temptation. He suffered to seek perfect righteousness. He suffered in order to bring about the gospel. And in the same way, he calls his people to be a people who suffer and struggle against sin and temptation, 
who suffer and struggle in order to bring the message of the gospel to everyone around us. And he says, if you're my follower and follow me into that, then you're genuinely my child. You have the family resemblance and you won't suffer forever. You will enter into what? Glory. Right? You'll enter into glory. You'll be glorified with him. And that is what next week's passage is all about, being glorified with him. If we're God's heirs, how big an inheritance do you suppose there is from God? Right? What does he own? Right? How big is that inheritance that we could expect? Revelation chapter 21 describes that inheritance of a new heaven and a new earth with all of these pictures of extreme value and beauty in order to communicate to us the depth of value and beauty of what is ours in God. 1 Corinthians 15 describes the new bodies that will be ours with words like incorruptible and imperishable because God wants us to understand the, the huge value that is ours Revelation chapter 22 says that ultimately what we will experience in glory is the presence of God face to face. Revelation chapter 22 verse 3 and 4 says we will see God face to face. The Bible throughout says no one can see the face of God and live in this sinful state. But in the new heaven and the new earth, we will see God face to face. His primary glory and we will live, and we will celebrate, and we will revel in His presence. Right? What glory that will be. And the glorification that's going to take place, the inheritance that is ours, it's not just about what we will experience, it's about who we will become. Because as 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, we will see Him face to face, and we will be made like Him. Totally like Jesus in character. Right? Anybody else need that? Absolutely. We are God's heirs, and we have an amazing inheritance that lies ahead of us. Now, I want you guys to see all eight of these things lined up uh, because uh, I really want us to be overwhelmed with the goodness and the blessing of God that is ours if we are in Christ Jesus. Just look at this. For those in Christ Jesus... The penalty of sin is paid. The power of sin is broken. Our practice of sin is reduced. Our mind is transferred and focused on God. The Spirit is winning the war inside us. We're led by the Spirit. We're God's children and we are God's heirs. There is so much goodness bound up in our salvation that again and again we just say, thank you, thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives, Jesus. And so the question becomes once again, are you in Christ Jesus? Are you his disciple? Because if the answer is no, but as you sit here this morning, you're saying, I need to know more about that. I, there's something inside of me that is moving, that wants to know what it means to be in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you when the service is over, come and talk to the prayer ministers that are up here. Come and talk to me. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be in Christ Jesus. But if you are in Christ Jesus and you are his disciple, then let's just spend some time celebrating his goodness and all of these truths, all of these blessings that he has given to us.